with Fair Carter. Three, two, one. Good evening and welcome to another episode of Elite Rugby Banter, the podcast all about rugby. Today I'm joined by the usuals. We've got uh, Andrew and Ant. Andrew, how are you doing? Very well, thanks, Phil. How are you? Yeah, I'm all, I'm all right, thanks. Uh, less rugby than usual this weekend, but we still have a lot to talk about. Um, yeah, how's how's life up there in Joburg? Uh, it's good. I had a, a week in the Kruger Park last week and have a week in the Pillensburg from tomorrow. So trying to spend as much time in the bush at the moment, uh, enjoying the early winter, uh, which is a good time for game viewing and things like that. So yeah, it's been a good few weeks actually. Um, that with the, the Stormers being in the quarterfinals and uh, then beating the Bulls and getting the psychological advantage. Don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but um, it's all feeling quite good right now. Yeah, I mean, we'll get a bit more into it, but I think between our last episode and now, we've had a little bit of disappointment from the Stormers, but um, all in all, not too bad. And how about you? How's life in Cape Town treating you? Yeah, life in Cape Town's great, especially on a long weekend, although just got the news that I had a excruciatingly tight nine-point loss in draft this week, which I, yeah, the worst case, the worst part is that I actually had the points sitting on my bench, uh, so I'm... I'm in the processing that at the moment, um, but otherwise all good. Yeah, I believe you got two bonus points at least, a little bit of a consolation. Um, oh. But yeah, the the log in our draft league at the moment is super tight, so every point counts. And uh, we're about halfway through Super Rugby, or maybe less, I think. There's not that long left, but we'll see how it goes. Um, speaking of Super Rugby, we'll have we'll have an update on that, along with a whole lot of other stuff. Um, yeah, sorry, Ant. Uh, no, I was just, just focusing on draft <laughs> for a second. I just want to know what the chance of not ending last is. Um, so, you know, you took a massive win, and I can't remember what Andy's result was. He also got uh, a win, I, yeah? Yeah, I scored a win with the third lowest score of the entire round. So it was a, a rather, as, as Adam put it, underwhelming win. <laughs> Look, I mean, four points is four points, huh? Yep. Better than glorious. And a, you know, a shitty win is better than a glorious loss, like in my case. I, I, I need every point I can get in Super Rugby because URC definitely didn't go my way. Uh, having the ignominious claim of Wooden Spoon again um, is definitely, it, it's uh, it's hurting my, my credentials as a member of this esteemed podcast panel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I remember towards the beginning of our season, we were mentioning how perhaps, uh, you know, doing the podcast and talking about URC back then, I think it was still every week, was maybe a good thing for our um, draft chances. But cle- clearly, <laughs> moving it to every month hasn't helped all of us. Um, Andrew is the, I think the this is our first full URC draft that's just finished, so the first proper owner of the wooden spoon in that competition. I, I will say, you know, I think I had a good squad. It's just the, the problem was they didn't play half the time. Um, first pick, Evan Rose, obviously, is a massive injury loss earlier in the season. But um, I think the last two rounds, I mean, there was nothing to play for in the second last round for me. It was just to see who joined me in the wooden spoon final. But um, in, in that round, and I think the, the last round, I had the second and the third highest scores of, of the entire comp. So 
like I said, it's just, you know, my, my squad was good, but they didn't turn up when they needed to. And uh, I must just wear the, or not, I must carry the spoon of shame as a result. There's, there's no excuses, really. Now, Richard was saying a similar similar thing. I was chatting to him last night. Um, but yeah, it would have been quite fun if he'd gone back-to-back Super Rugby trophies and then still managed to get some silverware in URC um, on the first time we played it, just on the other direction. So I'm mm-hmm. actually going to say that you, you didn't win that, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we should also... Um... You know, give a, a deserved shout out to one of the original OGs on this pod, um, Adam. For for years now, we've been saying, you know, next year is Adam's year. And it, it finally is Adam's year. I mean, he won URC and he's currently sitting very pretty on top of the Super Rugby Draft log too. So, you know, props to Adam. He, he actually pulled it off this year. It's quite yeah, the turnaround. I was, just, I was very much expecting Alex to win at the death. Just because that just would have been how fate would have drawn us. Um, so I was quite disappointed in that. But now out of the squad, yeah, did, did pull through and put in a dominant performance as it has been doing the whole season. Yeah. From picking Jordan Yaliti as his first pick in his debut season to, you know, getting <laughs> getting the first URC win, it's quite a turnaround. Very impressive. Um, but moving on, away from draft, I think the biggest news concerning the Springboks um, that's happened in the last on, recent while has been confirmation that Jacques Ninaber is going to leave the Springboks after the World Cup. And immediately after that was announced, uh, Leinster also unveiled that that would be where he was moving, as I think he's moving as a defence coach or part of the coaching system. Um, yeah, I was a head coach. Yeah. So what are your guys' initial reactions to that before we get into you know, possible contenders for, for his role post-World Cup? I mean, I think... Understanding his reasons kind of makes sense. You know, he's doing it. It sounds like family-driven reasons, which, you know, a lot of people are making very, very similar decisions in Africa at the moment. For uh, that, uh, it's obviously disappointing from a perspective because he's, you know, one of the better, probably the best defense coach out there. Uh, so it'll definitely be a loss of IP to African rugby. Uh, but fortunately, he's only going to a club side, not to national side yeah Leinster will I mean they're already the strongest URC side by some by some distance and they're only going to be strengthened by that um, so good good signing for them for the box it's been kind of weird to have a sustained period of time where we just have sort of a comfortability with the Springbok coaching setup there's no there's no drama there's no contro- controversies there's no uh, turmoil in the camp, you know, um, bits and pieces here and there, but I mean, that's international rugby, but he, he with, with Rusty in the background, has been really, really stable. I mean, if anything, Rusty's been the one causing trouble, but Nienov has been uh, very stable and good for the for the culture of the team and the continuity. So it's going to be interesting to see how they pick up from that and try keep that continuity, but I think with, with a number of senior Springboks also probably moving on after the World Cup, um, there's going to be some some inevitability to changes there. I think there was less after the last World Cup um, than there will be after this one. So there will be a period of change. And on the other hand, the flip side of that for the Springboks is I think the All Blacks will come roaring back with the latest announcement of their new coaching staff, Razor Robertson and half of Super Rugby Pacific's head coaches uh, in the wings for him. 
So that'll be interesting for the Springboks, but also for obviously uh, New Zealand club rugby and having to replace all of those coaches. So there's going to be a lot of change after the World Cup, um, whichever way you look at it. Yeah, I think that, yeah, that is the other big news. It's sort of uh, been spoken about for so long how Robertson would finally be getting his chance, but that confirmation was also coming through in recent news. Um, and also, so I don't know if it was this weekend or however recently, but Rassi confirmed that he'll be staying on in probably like the similar capacity that he is, and partly I think also just um, keeping that stability. And I think that sort of implies um, in terms of continuity that someone who's already in the in the setup is most likely to take on the reins as the head coach. So well, and, the other bit of news is that all four of them uh, also all resigned. Mm. So I think Don Heeman, um, Dylan Davids, Vic, uh, all resigned. So if, I think the worst case scenario would be uh, a shocking World Cup for performance. I don't even like to think of losing to two pool games and not even making the quarterfinals, but more realistically going out in the quarterfinals. If that happened with this coaching setup, do you think the South African rugby public and media would be willing to keep someone who's just gone through that? I mean, that would be quite, you know, quite a big thing to have to deal with. I'll let Andy go first. I mean, that's not, as you say, it's not something we really want to contemplate, but um, I hadn't thought about that. And we know we know that the, the rugby following public in South Africa is fickle. And if things are going well, you know, it's yes, everyone's together, it's Ubuntu, all those things. <laughs> when, it's, when it's not going well, it's, you know, fire the coach and fire the captain. And we're going to have a new captain anyway, probably, well, definitely. Uh, maybe even as soon as the World Cup or before, we will have to have one before actually, um, with the news of Sia undergoing surgery. Uh, so, whoa. Um, I think Stick and David have been in the system for long enough and experienced enough underneath Rossi and Nianaba to to justify passing that baton on. They also have good uh, credentials on their own, um, and I don't see a long list of potential contenders outside of them. Um, so I think I think it will stay internally, uh, despite if there is some drama. But there's going to be a reshuffle after the World Cup, sort of inevitably in, in playing staff, if not coaching, uh, play, players, if not coaching staff, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, my one wo- only worry about that is, you know, I don't like continuity is good, but I don't know if I love it, the constant promotion from the inside you know, that we saw with the All Blacks, for example. Um, mm. I think having outside ideas, outside people coming in is, is a good thing. You know, maybe keep the assistant coaches and your head coach, things like that. But constantly you know, being under Russi, essentially under Russi for probably 10 years by 2025, um, and all of his staff is quite a, you know, it's quite a lot of investment. Unfortunately, Russi's proven that he can do it with like, Whereas, you know, in the New Zealand context, we lost Hansen. Um, as in, sorry, they lost Hansen and they they'd only replaced him with an assistant. It's maybe a slightly different situation. But, yeah, I think it's just one thing to be cognizant of. Yeah, I think like, like Andrew was saying, if we had more, um, more, I don't know, noteworthy South African coaches, I think especially because we tend to stay, or at least in 
you know, given what we have appointed in the past within South African coaches. If we had more people putting their hands up, whether it be overseas or locally, I think the conversation might be a little bit different. But because looking at someone like Johan Ackerman or Franco Smith, even who's, had a, who's having a really good season, those are not the sort of names who are going to make you think, okay, we need to get one of those urgently because that's what we're missing. They're still a little bit below like that top international level. Yeah, yeah. I think after uh, having local options does make a difference. After another four-year cycle, I think the likes of those names you've mentioned, John Dobson, a few others that are coming up, they, they could put their hands up and you get some, some fresh blood in, which I, I agree with Ant. You can't have um, continuity at the risk of like staleness, but I also think the current coaching staff have had the succession planning in mind for a while and also the way that they've been rotating squad members, introducing the likes of Sashin Gomazulu, um, uh, Kane and Moody, you know, players who are going to be playing in two, three World Cups time as well. Um, and they're going to be forming the the but or the the nucleus of the, the squad for the well, 2027 World Cup. So the fact that the coaching staff knows them, they know the structures, the spirit, all of that. So that, that continuity is good. But I, I agree, you, you don't want to always promote internally. We've seen that go wrong. Uh, I think in this case, it's the right decision. But in four years' time, I might not agree with that anymore. Yeah. No, I think that's a very fair, fair point. Yeah. The one thing I don't really like, I mean, there's not much they could have done about it. It's just how much focus this will obviously take away from the World Cup itself. Hopefully, it will be like galvanizing in some way, like this is our last time to do it for the coach. But um, I think ideally, it would have been kept under wraps a bit more. But, uh, you know. I don't about that. At the same time, like, it's going to, you know, they would know either way. You know, I don't think it's, mm. I don't think it needs to be this big secret, like, you know, people are adults and it's like, cool, you're doing your job, you're going to move on after. It's like, that's not like, I don't think neither of, the, of anyone is going to be having one eye on the next job. And sacrifice the World Cup. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. He's, his legacy is on the line as much as anyone else's. But like, why would he compromise that? But I don't. I don't think that's an issue at all. Sure. But, yeah, I, I tend to agree with Anton. I also think um, you know we haven't talked about Felix Jones leaving as well, um, and he's he's also been an important behind the scenes staff member. Everyone, everyone in, in the setup raves about him and his his attention to detail and what he's brought to the Springbok setup for the last while. Um, so he's also leaving. Um, and we're not getting uh, Nigel Owens. Um, that was also confirmed. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, we'll see. But um, Felix Jones as well has been someone who's impressed me when I have seen him speak uh, in interviews and conferences and that. Um, and I think he's going to England, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, set up yeah so i mean also a good signing for them um and he'll bring a lot of knowledge obviously of springbok rugby to england so we'll see how that plays out <laughs> it didn't help with my proud foot to be fair <laughs> yeah. that's very true yeah um and, and andy you mentioned also there that uh, we received the unfortunate news i think it was the last pool game of um urc where sia khaleesi injured his uh his knee against Munster, I think. So initially, it looked like he would either have to make a decision between surgery and not, and we know now that he has gone for surgery, but uh, they're still hoping for the best, and there might be uh, some recovery that happens before the World Cup, but it's all up in the air at the moment. Um, 
So how do you guys feel about obviously losing him as a captain, but also a player? And, and what's who's going to step up in, in both of those capacities? Uh, yeah, I just I think the real the real tragedy here is that he tanked the wooden spoon draft final <laughs> and he's in my lineup for the last time ever before moving to France and uh, he went off after seven minutes or something. So um, see so yeah, that that albatross is going to hang around your neck for the rest of your life. But um, I know I know Ant has some rather passion takes on this, so I'll, I'll give him the floor after that after that remark. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting one, I and mean, I've. I suppose originally was was not Sia's biggest fan back in the day um, when he first came on the Stormers scene, um, and I think I mean echoed a lot of Ben's sentiments that he shared of him being a, a luxury player and that he didn't do anything particularly well. He kind of just floated around and you know made a couple of highlights here and there. I always held a bit of a grudge against him. His and I'll maintain it was a, a, you know quote a pick for the 2015 World Cup ahead of Marcel Kutsia, who at the time you know played four or five years of Springbok rugby. Consistently shot. No, but no, but also you've been playing for the Springboks since 2012. Um, but no, I mean the, that that bias is there as well. But you know, I think Katsia was the standout better player and covered positions at the time. But to, you know, Sears post, I think essentially when since Rusty took over, he's just slowly grown and improved. And I think people in the last year or two started to recognise that he is actually one of the best players around. I mean, even at the last World Cup, like everyone recognized him as a leader, but no one was even contemplating him being part of the team of the, the competition. You know, like he was a solid player, but he was a leader player, not a, I mean, Francois Lowe was arguably the better player player. But in the last two years, he's really stood out um, and kind of become one of our most irreplaceable players, which thinking about like who we could put in to fill the same role that he does. And there's not really anyone at all that can do everything that he does. I mean, he's such a dominant hitter. He still does his play stuff, but his work rate, um, not in terms of numbers, but in terms of impact, is exceptionally high. Um, like I think he's got one of the highest dominant hit rates in world rugby. Uh, yeah, and he's just, anyway, it's just, it's, it's a huge loss as a player, let alone as a leader. And I think it's, he'll be a lot more easily replaced as a captain with, um, Pollard and Etzebeth. You know, we've got established leaders in that team. Uh, we've got Amu captains at captain's franchise level. But yeah, as so number six, we don't serve anyone mm. in a similar mould. Yeah, this is this is not like a situation where John Smith was captain nearing the end of his career and there was Bismarck Duplessis waiting to take over. You know, like a lot of people argued that it's keeping Smith on as captain was keeping Bismarck out of the Springbok team. And that was a, a problem from a performance point of view. But with Sia, he's really made that six jersey his own. And we, as you said, that in, I think, a WhatsApp, WhatsApp group, and like, we just sort of assumed he would always be there. Um, obviously, I think after the World Cup, he's indicated that he's, he's probably going to retire from international rugby. But until then, we just assumed that Sia would be there every match for, for 80 minutes, essentially. Um, except when maybe Kwaka comes on, who would be one one potential replacement. Um, but there's there's no one, like Kwaka would be decent, Marco van Staden's there, Marcel Kutsia plays some excellent rugby for the Bulls and in Japan, but hasn't been really, yeah, he hasn't been 
play, it hasn't been as uh, welcomed into the Springbok setup, if we can put it that way. There was some, he was not selected and then he was sort of selected begrudgingly and then he was dropped again. Um, so we don't know where the relationships are there. Um, but he is also a natural leader. So, I mean, captain the Bulls uh, for a long time. Uh, so, yeah, I don't really know where we go with this. There's, there's no player who's going to replace here uh, in every single facet. So the leadership, I think you've indicated, Ed Smith and Pollard probably, the, and, and Am, maybe the top three candidates for that. I'd like to see probably Ed Smith get it, just given that um, Pollard has some more injury clouds having over, hanging over his head recently. Um, and you don't want another disturbance to your leadership uh, group. Maybe with like Am and Pollard as co-captains or co-vice-captains or something. Um, yeah, but then in terms of the player, I, I, I don't know where they're going to go with this. Um, I think Quacker or even Dion Fury, but I don't think that's the right. I don't know if that's the right call. Maybe as a bench option, but not as a starter for the Springboks. So I don't know. What I've, I've thrown out some names. What do you guys think? Quacker well, is probably the most logical, just because he's been in the setup for so long. But I mean, Marcel Cotier probably plays the most similarly. But then you've got that issue of What's the relationship like? Yeah, yeah, I I agree. Um, I think based on the squads, it would feel weird if Marcel Kutsia came in from outside of the squad straight into a starting position. But he is the most likely. Like, I can't picture Dion Fury starting. Like you say, maybe as an impact player, it works a bit better. But he has been playing really well when he has been fit for the Stormers, and I think they missed him. They missed him a lot when he hasn't. Um, it's a really tough one, and I think the balance of the pack when South Africa have been playing on their best days is like Sia brings, like Ant was saying, something that you know can't really be replicated anymore. It feels like it used to be able to. So whether it's Quacho or whether it's anyone else, it's it's not quite the same. And hopefully we will be able to replicate it. We'll have definitely we have the rugby championship this year where we'll be able to play, you know, whoever it is, whether it's Marcel Kutsia or someone who's been in the squad already. Uh, to try and get that right, but um, it's a bit of a worry. And yeah, I agree with you guys. The captaincy one is less of a concern. The player, the number six role, um, is is a little bit more of a worry. But we do have time. We have a few games to figure it out. And yeah, I think we'll 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 be okay. But we're still hoping that he'll be ready for the World Cup. Yeah, I suppose uh, it is maybe the unfortunate thing that this is happening. You know, now in um, April, not in like the first round, like with um, John Villiers. Yeah, for sure. True. He, he may be back, and and even if he isn't back, um, well, Dick made a comment in the group about uh, potentially even just taking him with anyway if he's not fit. Take him with as a backroom staffer, and and you don't lose that leadership quality then potentially off the field. Maybe he can play Waterboy like Ala Rassi Erasmus um, before he was banned. Uh, you know, there, there's ways to still have that benefit to the squad, uh, even if he isn't playing potentially. Uh, but you also, <laughs> that being said, you don't want to undermine this, another captain if they if they are carving out their own leadership story. Like Anetzebeth could be captain at the next World Cup, for instance. Um, you don't want to undermine that development as well and that authority. Uh, so that they're going to have to be sensitive about the way they handle this. I feel like C is fortunately the kind of guy that 
wouldn't, you know. I mean, he's always been quite yeah. comfortable with, you know, not needing to be a dominant leader, if that makes sense. You know, he's, he's always kind of been happy to defer when it's been appropriate, um, that he hasn't had this kind of ego about his captaincy. So I don't mm. think I don't think that could be an issue. You know, I think he quite happily, like even, you know, when he joined the Sharks, um, you know, I'm with the captain and that wasn't an issue. Like it wasn't like Sia was the actual captain, but I'm with the captain there. It was like, I'm with the captain and Sia was the player. And, you know, so this is what I'm saying. So he doesn't have an e- ego, fortunately. Yeah, and they and they do have a large leadership group, I think, you know, with Dwayne Pimulin and with uh, the guys you've mentioned already. So I think it's more spread out than, uh, you know, losing Sia and the whole thing changes. And maybe it will, you know, maybe Irvin is the type of guy who needs to stamp his different footmark on the whole thing, but doubtful. Yeah, yeah I mean, again, given, given their friendship for however many years, you know, like one wouldn't think they have that kind of relationship. But, but yes. Okay, well, moving on to, uh, I think let's look at the URC. So um, we've seen the URC playoffs come and go. We've got the final eight, which is this weekend, in fact. Um, from a South African perspective, uh, we have three qualifiers. So um, the best performing team of the Stormers, who have a home quarterfinal, but missed out on the top four. I mean, the top two, so potentially won't have a home semi. Um, the Bulls finished above the Sharks, and the Sharks finished... Eighth. So the big news from their camp is that while they're qualified for the playoffs, they are likely to miss out on Champions Cup rugby next year, which is quite a massive well, blow for them. They will miss out unless they win the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I was maybe giving them, you know, more of a chance than that. <laughs> yeah, um, which it, pretty which is insane. pretty a pretty massive blow for the Sharks, especially given their predicted forward projection and how they want to be, you know, one of the best clubs going forward. To not play in the premium competition is not ideal. Um, the Lions finished ninth just behind the Sharks, a couple of points off. Unfortunate also that they left it a bit too late for their run for the playoffs and losing their match to Leinster. They would have actually finished above the Sharks if they had beaten Leinster in the second last match, which they really should have. They blew that lead. Um, that but Shocking yeah. for the shark. I mean, it was shocking anyway, but that would have been shocking if they were the last place. <laughs> exactly. Um, so saying that, yeah, Leinster, of course, on top, but uh, Stormers host the Bulls this weekend in this all-South African affair, while uh, Sharks have to travel to Leinster in what is really a tough game. Leinster have just come off a European match where they quite comprehensively dismantled Toulouse, so they'll be on a high, but also potentially resting some players. So, yeah, I mean, and you mentioned there the Sharks being disappointing. Um, overall views as well as thoughts on a potential upset this weekend against Leinster? I mean, yeah, overall, it's just, it's a really unfortunate season given, um, you know, the kind of, well, we've been saying it since the beginning that they recruited all these players, but they never recruited a coach. Um, and Sean Everett was never... A, good enough coach to carry the team. Um, and, you know, that eventually came to fruition you know, that, like, that he got sacked after some, you know, really shocking results. Um, but that left the team with, A, I mean, starting the season on the, well, you know, being towards the bottom of halfway through, but also now sitting without a coach for half the tournament um, with, you know, the director of rugby having to now coach the team who's never, who's never actually coached a team before. 
um, a 15s team. So it, it was, you know, it wasn't, they weren't set up to be successful, um, which is a, a, an error in terms of planning. Um, but, you know, now the consequences are being felt that whoever they bring in as coach next year, which is, sounds like they're trying to bring in Plumtree. Um, but, you know, that's cool. You're going to be playing in the Challenge Cup. Um, so you're really going to have to be building from the bottom. Um, but who knows? Maybe maybe that works in the Sharks' favor that they, the Champions Cup, the Challenge Cup's a little bit easier. They can manage their squads a little bit better. Um, their current cup team's doing okay. So maybe, maybe that'll all just work out in a way. Um, but yeah, it's it's just, you know, for a squad that stacked with talent, it's eighth is not good enough at, um, to finish halfway through the halfway through the field. Yeah. Um, it's just straight up not a good enough result for the season. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Um, Andrew, anything on the Sharks before getting into an assessment of the Stormers season, briefly? Uh, as a draft owner of Colisi, uh, Itzbeth, and Bonambi. You know, I put a lot of stake in the Sharks and their Springboks, but as I found out, they, they didn't play all that often, uh, and, and when they did play, they lost to Scarlets, and uh, then they drew with Munster, and um, yeah, they, they didn't quite have the impact, these blue chip players, that maybe the Sharks had hoped. Uh, coaching definitely has something to do with it, and I think Ant's given a good argument there for the the mitigating factors. Um, if they'd beaten Munster and, and beaten Scarlets, then they would have been, um, I think, above the Bulls. So uh, they would have been playing, uh, was it, uh, the Stormers um, instead of Leinster. Uh, so I think the Bulls did it last year. They went away and beat Leinster. They, they can't do it for us this year because they're going to lose to the Stormers and Newlands. Um, but hopefully the Sharks can Full finger, uh, not Newland, sorry. Um, old habits die hard, uh, <laughs> and it's a, it's a huge ask for the Sharks to go to Leinster. They're complete underdogs. Um, the only thing we can hope for is that the Leinster first team are undercooked because they've had a long rest and they are still hungover from Gary Ringrose's house and their Six Nations victory, uh, and somehow they catch them on an off day. But Leinster have to have a very off day, and the Sharks have to have a very on day for a result. Look, I mean, I think the Sharks have shown that when they turn on, they are very good. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I think the Sharks are probably, if anyone, if, if any of the South African teams had to go there, I think the Sharks are probably best placed because they've got, I think they've got the highest ceiling. Um, like if they do just really pitch up and fire on their day, you know, and I think maybe, maybe that's the play that they're just motivating as cool. If we win this playoff, suddenly, um, our seasons, you know, they'll, they'll lose the next playoff because they won't play two, they won't win two games in a row. But you know, maybe they can recover some kind of um, virtue or like feel like the, the team was the season was a success or something by taking Leinster. Spoken like a true uh, Sharks fan, yeah. Without Itzabeth and Kulisi, I don't know if they have the higher ceiling, but uh, let's let, no, let's give you that one. <laughs> I wasn't considering that. Without yeah, without those two, you can't have a chance. <laughs> um, and we saw, the, like like Andrew said, we saw the Bulls do it last year, and the Bulls at the time didn't have like any Springboks. A um, couple of them have moved up, have moved into the squad now, but so it, it definitely can be done. And like I said, Leinster will have one eye on. The final against La Rochelle, which will happen two weeks True. after that. So, you know, maybe they won't want to risk their full-strength team. Um, 
We've seen stranger things happen. Um, from the Bulls' perspective, even though they did finish above the Sharks in the final log, they've been having a torrid time. We spoke about it last time, how all of their teams, down to the Varsity Cup representative from Pretoria, have been struggling. But um, it hasn't gotten too much better. They did squeeze into sixth place. Andrew already mentioned how they're going to lose to the Stormers this weekend. And from a general South African perspective, are you a bit concerned about how the Bulls have shaped up towards the end of this season? I just don't know what's happened. Like, they're just playing horrifically. Um, <laughs> it's just bizarre. I mean, it's, I don't know if Jake's White's heart attack has just kind of made him put things into perspective and he's just not coaching properly anymore. Um, but it seems to have gone from being, you know, playing intelligent rugby. Um, you know, they were the ones, everyone gives Leinster credit for the tap and goes, but it was the Bulls that brought that back first. You know, was, they were just doing clever, smart things and they're kind of just doing nothing. Um, so yeah, no, it is, it is concerning, but as you say, fortunately the Bulls don't have too many Springboks. So it's also not really concerning from a wider South African perspective, I think, but the bigger problem is just you want the African teams in general to be competitive across the board. Um, One thing that the Bulls did do, they had a Curry Cup game against Western Province this last weekend, and they put in a pretty strong team, including Kurtley Aronser, who is one of the current Springboks, who went off injured in that match. So Aronser getting injured in a Curry Cup match is not ideal. Um, That could have easily been avoided, I think. Plus, now they're playing the Stormers this weekend, also in Cape Town. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's just been a crazy one. I think it would be a massive upset if they managed to somehow pull off a win. And it would be bad for South African rugby because I think the Stormers have a better chance of pulling something off in the semi-final stage. Um, Andrew, you said you no chance of Bulls winning? Um, I mean, there's there's never no chance. But the, the form has not been with the Bulls, as you guys have said. Uh, the Curry Cup form they had, you know, it wasn't just KLA. It was there was also Stedman Hans and Cornell Hendricks who played you know, fairly regularly. Uh, David Krill, David Krill, Johan Hoesen was playing. Uh, Marco van Staden. So I mean, it wasn't a it wasn't a weak Bulls team. And on the other hand, the the Stormers played Blomakies, and and that was about it from the regular URC team. And even Blomakies has been playing bench starting, sort of switching every week. Uh, so it's it's not a good sign for the Bulls and clearly Irons are getting injured. I didn't actually know that. So that's that's pretty terrible news for the Bulls because when they play well, inevitably Kirtley Irons has a, a large hand to play in that, uh, especially from an attacking point of view, right? And um, for the Springboks as well, he's he's had an incredible try-scoring record and, and been really, really good as one of those new outside backs blooded by this coaching setup. So it's not good news for them. Um, home ground advantage, the Stormers. But as you said in the interest, uh, Phil, the, the Stormers have not looked their absolute best the last few weeks either. So Western Province had a convincing win. But again, that wasn't their URC squad. And the URC squad has struggled somewhat. Um, sort of, I don't know if you'd say they limped into third place um, behind Ulster. But it was all in their own hands and they, they let it slip. So they haven't been playing the best rugby that we know they can. Um, they, they need to prove that they are knockout players. You know, It used to, a knockout team, it used to be said that for the Springboks to be good, uh, the Bulls had to be strong. But with 
that was when we had the likes of Hannah Kamea coaching um, Jack White, who, who used to favour Bulls players. And I don't think that dominance is, is really there anymore. There's a more even spread. You mentioned the Bulls don't have that many Springboks anymore. Um, the I mean, Sharks. Yeah, so it's not necessary that the Bulls have to be the top team in South Africa anymore, but it's always better when they are strong and they're, they're not looking too great. So I'm, I'm predicting a Stormers win. Um, I feel like I can approach that objectively as well as put my blue tinted glasses on or white and blue, uh, both play in blue. So good luck with a kit bash and. Um, well, doesn't Robbo have six on the trot now? Something like that. They've definitely had the the will over the the Bulls um, in all competitions, yeah. Yeah, I think that loss, that home loss against Munster, which meant that they couldn't get second place, was the big, yeah. like, obvious bad result in the last few weeks. And well, I didn't manage to see that game. I had, had something else going on. But from the highlights, the yeah, they they just didn't look like they got the flow going. You know, uh, Munster managed to turn it into more of a scrappy game. Uh, Sharks and the Stormers, honestly, yeah. they just came here. Just we're horrible people, <laughs> and they're, they're obviously in the playoffs themselves, so it'll be interesting. They're playing Glasgow in the um, quarterfinal, who are on quite a roll at the moment, so that should be a good one, too. Um, but yeah, moving on, I think uh, I'll just, yeah, the, the Lions, I, I spoke a bit about them in the last episode, they sort of carried on. I they, that Leinster match was really frustrating, losing after being in a good position to win. But finishing ninth overall is not too bad. Um, yeah, you know, it would be nice to make the playoffs, but perhaps that was a step too far. And they've announced quite a few of the youngsters have re-signed, some of the promising youngsters. So hopefully building and, you know, creating a team dynamic which can take them forward. There are question marks over the coaching setup. But, um, yeah, hopefully we'll figure what, out what's going on there exactly in the next few weeks. Yeah, a lot of backroom stuff going on there, huh? Yeah. Albert van der Berg has uh, resigned, I think, as coach, eh? Yeah, I think yeah. he's confirmed that he's going to the Scarlets, actually. So, or jumping ship to another URC team, uh, like also as a forwards coach or a line-out coach or something. But wasn't there all that stuff about them having to do their own laundry and, like, there's a whole bunch of, yeah. like, really random... Yeah, it wasn't too dissimilar to the Stormers the previous season, where it's, like, living off McDonald's and just like terrible tour organization and there was some like Albert Vandenberg was actually involved with one of the I can't remember if it was like a technical analyst and people copying each other's cell phone records or something uh, you know drama of some sort I wasn't keeping up too much with it but I perhaps that's one of the reasons he wanted out perhaps not but he got another opportunity and he's obviously taken it um, he's known as a promising coach but uh I think Jock Ferry has said that he's going to stay on, and he seems like he's one of the sort of better cogs of the machine. So hopefully, uh, that's good news for the Lions. But um, yeah. you, you were you were talking about um, beating Leinster there, Phil, and I think for all of those Bulls uh, fans who who might still be listening but might have said, "Well, you guys are completely biased, saying that we have shit form." Uh, I think we do need to say well done to the Bulls for putting a record score on Leinster given that it was sort of Leinster's under-23 sort of B team, um, it's it's got to be taken with a pinch of salt, but uh, they they did they did turn it on big time to to put a massive 70-plus score on, on on that Leinster touring squad. So yeah. good for them. Um, but uh, if the Sharks can do 
even a tenth of that against a proper Leinster team, it would be great for <laughs> for the rest of us. Yeah. No, but to be fair, like that's not the first time the Leinster, Leinster have sent a beast touring side. No. And you know, a record score is a record score. So yes, it was a weakened Leinster team, but I mean, they still got decked. Yeah, and, and it was their, it was their first loss of the season. They've literally yeah. won. No, no, so I mean, I, I think yeah, sure. Take take the you know, be be mindful of that. It wasn't the best side that they could put together, but I mean, they still. It, it, the Bulls had to perform, and they can only play in front of them. And you know, they did it the week before, the, the week before against um, Deborah. So like, you know. And the, re- the really frustrating thing was because they won by so much, they moved above Munster in like the, I think they had the same number of wins and so they had a better points record. So they just needed the Sharks to beat Munster and they would have finished above Munster, but we know what happened mm-hmm. next. The Sharks are not very good. Um, so well, well, The Sharks least drew. The Storm has lost. <laughs> this is true. It's, uh, it but, is a competition. You know. I mean, the Sharks were, I mean, they were, what, 19-3 up at halftime or something? I mean, they were like, because, yep. I mean, they, they put, what, 50 on Leinster, I mean, on, on Munster a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. I mean, the chance exactly. of And so, like, they were, and they were, again, 17-3 or 19-3 up. As I said, like, they were, they needed the bonus points. They'd done the work to get the bonus points. They needed one try. Yeah. And then, just fucked it. Like, it's yeah. really disappointing. Like we said, with the Champions Cup ramifications on the line, they had the most to lose. And I don't know if it was pressure or complacency or what, but the second half was just a completely different game. Um, they were comfortable at halftime um, oh. and things fell apart. So, yeah, enough about the Sharks. Um, you know, we'll yeah. see if they can pull off a miracle this weekend, but we'll be rooting for them, of course. But if uh, we're being a little bit more serious, our, our eggs should be in the storm as maybe the ball's basket. <laughs> <laughs> from a South African perspective. Um, Phil, you're enjoying this too much, and I don't appreciate it. <laughs> but let's let's move on to some Super Rugby. So, yeah, I mentioned, I think we're about 10 weeks into Super Rugby. There's yeah. um, still a few games before playoffs, I think five weeks or so. And the Chiefs are so far unbeaten. They beat the Crusaders in a massive match this past weekend. So they've won all their games, nine out of nine, I think it is. Um the Highlanders have dropped off a bit, so I think they are also out of the current top six. But the Brumbies still looking like the only potentially uh, opposition for any of the New Zealand teams, although they lost to the Hurricanes this weekend. Um, yeah, I don't know, Andrew, anything worth, noteworthy to take from what we've seen in Super Rugby so far, other than disappointing draft performances for all of us? <laughs> Um, yeah, I think one of the one of the big talking points is, you know, is this the the end of the era of dominance of the Crusaders? Um, we saw posts going around the other day of saying that they're the the top Super Rugby side and probably third best club side after La Rochelle and Leinster. Um, but really, if you've been watching Super Rugby this season, um, that that hierarchy seems to have changed. Uh, with Razor Robinson leaving, it's sort of a bit uncertain what's going to happen there. But they've also, to be fair to them, uh, and to be fair to to you, Phil, as an owner of Severis, they've struggled with with some injuries. Um, I've I've also lost Ethan Blackadder, and Colin Grace was out for a long time. Sam Whitelock was out for a few weeks. Well, Jordan has uh, been missing uh, in action with a. You're saying Chris Burke is not something. <laughs> 
Oh, what was that? I was saying full, uh, Fergus Burke is not as good as Will Jordan. I, I will very comfortably say that. <laughs> would, you, would you say that Macca Springer is no Severus? <laughs> I would say that comfortably too. Um, so, so to be fair to the Crusaders, they've had a few key players missing, but still, um, I think they've, they've still got a massively stacked squad and maybe not played to, to expectations, but the Chiefs are running away with it big time. Um, yeah, so the Brumbies have been surprisingly good for me as well. Yeah. I said it's amazing what firing firing Warren Gatland will do for you. Because yeah. I mean, he he also set a record with them, and it was also like ten in a row, except it was ten losses. Yeah. So yeah. interestingly, out of the you know the new coaching setup for the All Blacks, I think they've roped in the Blues and the Hurricanes head coaches. But mm-hmm. the current dominant team, the Chiefs, have left, been left untouched. So it's kind of interesting, you know, just to not reward potentially. Is it Clayton McMillan? I think that's his name. Um, the Chiefs head coach. So, yeah, I don't know if it's a direction thing or pre-existing relationships. But he's obviously and flourishing that, since Gatlin left his answer. Razor and McDonald definitely would have played together at the Crusaders. So maybe you know, there is definitely familiarity there with them. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure anything else beyond that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's also just the the bottom four are the predictable the predictable lot: the Rebels, the Force, the Drua, and the Pacific. Um, in that in that order, but they're on the same number of wins as the Highlanders and the Tars, uh, apart from the Pacific who win this. So it's interesting that from seven to eleven, they've all got three wins. Yeah. Fiji and Drua probably been. I think the most impressive out of all of those um, in terms of style of rugby and, and some strong performances against some really good sides. I mean, the, the Drewers win over the Crusaders we talked about last time, but um, yeah, hu- huge improvements for them, I feel like. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think they're the team everyone wants to see do better. I mean, I think it's because they, they're just a bit more aligned with the national identity. Moana, like, kind of, you know, you want them to do well, but you're also like, who are they, really? Um, yeah. At least they, they have been playing a couple of games. Sorry. Um, they have been at least playing some home games uh, away from Auckland and been playing in Tonga, I think. So that's nice to see. And hopefully we'll see more of that, like less as the sort of fifth New Zealand team and more of their own identity. Uh, I don't know if we will see more of, you know, spreading between Tonga and Samoa, but hopefully they'll be able to pull together in that regard. Right, no, I completely agree. And, and I, you know, I think that's the, the difficulty that they had that, um, that uh, Fiji on, uh, that didn't have, like, Fiji came in with an identity. Yeah. Uh, mm. And a fan base and whatever, whereas Pacifica are trying to create an identity and a fan base and, a, you know, they're trying to create all that stuff while they're in Auckland with already a strong Pacifica link team. Yeah. The Blues and um, you know the Melbourne, sorry, not the the, the Warriors or the NRL team, the AFL teams. Yeah, and um, I think you posted Ant that uh, the Fijian Drua also have their own women's team, just called the Fijiana Drua, um, and they they caused a massive upset to get into the finals of their own. Uh, Super W competition. I think they're the reigning champions, but they've had a really bad season, but somehow managed to pull through. So I think in terms of that structure and that um, having more of an identity, that definitely speaks true. 
but moving on from that and maybe sticking with the women's rugby, we saw, I think it was a sevens qualifying competition this weekend um, that was based in Stellenbosch. It, there was a bit of wet weather. I know that caused a bit of a venue move at some point, but um, ultimately uh, up for grabs was a permanent spot in, I think it's next season's uh, circuit. So, Andrew, do you want to just uh, mention a little bit about that? Yeah, so the women's sevens has been through a fair bit of turmoil in the last sort of six months with coaches resigning and all sorts of accusations being made of uh, SA Rugby not really taking the the code seriously. Um, but it seems that they're past that. They've got Renford Dizel in as a coach who is, you know, comes from serious pedigree in the sevens circuit. And uh, they had a clean sweep in the, the second challenger series that they were part of, um, which secures them core status on the tour. Uh, the, the real work starts now, obviously. Um, they had to beat off the the mighty likes of Belgium and Paraguay and Czech Republic and things like that. And you know, it's not really where we want to see a Springbok you know, side by the name of Springboks playing. Um, so it's great that they're now a core member of the circuit and they also get a financial incentive I think it's seven million rand equivalent um, to to develop uh, their seven systems. So every core member of the circuit from World Rugby, um, and that's yeah, that's that's on top of having uh, flights and accommodation and on the ground logistics tra- uh, covered on the tour. So that that seven million goes directly into development. Um, Huge. So yeah, that's that's big big news, and hopefully that gets spent well and reap some rewards. Obviously, um, you know some some star players of the tournament. I think the the uh, a common name that comes up in in Springbok women's rugby in 15s and sevens, Nadine Rus, who across the five games that they played uh, scored 10 tries and 14 conversions. So it's pretty prolific. Uh, also playing in the centres, which yeah, normally normally she's a fullback or or um, or wing uh, in the 15s, um, but she was playing in the centres because of injuries to the squad. So huge tournament for her. Um, she still she still got it, uh, and she must be heading for like Springbok Hall of Fame at this rate, I reckon. Yeah, it does sound promising. I I always have a little bit of mixed feelings. Maybe you guys can tell me why I'm wrong, but um, I feel like with the upliftment in sevens, especially when you have such limited resources like base resources i worry they're putting more money which is good you know they're getting their made core status and that but detract might potentially detract from the 15 aside and the building towards a more competitive 15 aside so do you think that they sort of actually work hand in hand together a bit more or um or is there that potential to maybe take a bit away from the 15 aside i think Go My comment was just that I think like when you're developing and and finances are short, um, you know, you follow where the money is. And if you're getting development funding, you 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 use it. I think a lot of the players do cross over. um, And you see that in a lot of the other, when a lot of the other women's teams were starting out, um, you know, a lot of the the now kind of Kiwi all black women started you know like ruby 2 and then they were all started as sevens players and then as their programs became more um, developed they could then kind of focus on one or the other um 
so yeah, I think it's it's probably just part of the stepping stone nature. Mm. And I mean the the the, the benefit full of having that overlap between the 15s and seven sides is that if you develop individual players in the seven circuit, that that development is hopefully going to spill over into the 15s as well when they do switch codes. So it's not like you would be developing separate player pools, um, but obviously you want to be cognizant of workloads and you know, fixture loads and things like that with individual players, especially when you've got stars like Ayabonga you know, Malinga and Libby Janssen-Rindberg and, and Nadine Ruas like playing lots of games for both for both teams. So you do need to manage that, but also I think some development in the sevens should hopefully have some spillover benefits to the 15s as well. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if we don't have an actual local league, you know, I mean, most other countries have a domestic league now, um, like a Super League mm. equivalent or whatever. Um, you know, we don't really have that here. So, if we, you know, if people want to focus on 15, they don't have a league to play in unless they're going overseas. You know, which some of our women have done. Yeah, I think like our league is starting to get a little bit more professional. We saw that with the Bulls team, but it's like, yeah, I mean, it's far and. Know, far removed from what we're seeing in the likes of England and France, um, which you know are the sort of two them in New Zealand are the two of the three uh, big rugby uh, women's teams. And England and France actually played each other in the uh, Six Nations decider this weekend. For so the um, Grand Slam was on the line because they had both won all of their games previously, and this was the last match. Um, and we saw a record attendance. I think it was at Twickenham. Andrew, can you confirm? Um, and that was the yep. biggest ever attendance for a women's rugby game. So that's yeah, pretty just positive. 60,000, I think. Yeah, it's, you know, it's really good part. to see. I think, I think the, you know, the English um, women football team, yeah. they're driving a lot of that, you know, because I think the team got so, the country sorry, got so well behind the English uh, football women because they, you know, obviously won the Euros. Euros. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, people kind of like, oh, women do play sport and we can support them and it's perfectly yeah. um and you know i think they so i think the rugby is benefiting a lot from that um but it's which is awesome it's very very cool to see uh women's rugby growing so well it's just you know one worries that like you know you're getting now you're just going to get a dominant two teams because they've got the development and the systems and the finances and then everyone else is just kind of going to be you know catching up for the next 20 years basically which is kind of what you were saying. Yeah, um, and obviously a big shout out to our representative in that game, Amy Barrett-Duron, the ref. Uh, big selection for her, getting into that decider, and uh, she did a good job apparently, and it was a, a rather free-flowing game, 38-33 um, to England, oh. with a 33-0 half-time score to England. So, no, uh, epic it's, comeback, exactly, yeah. Uh, Interesting, interesting game, um, and yeah, good for women's rugby. Yeah, I mean the, the the dream obviously is to see one day the Springboks women's team being as competitive as uh, the men's counterparts. But I I guess realistically we're some way off. But we have seen some of our players go and play in England's professional leagues, um, which is a promising start. And hopefully, yeah, our own league will rise and prominence get a little bit more professional and the steps that they're making at the moment will contribute to that um yeah so uh, 
is there anything else from the last month or so which we haven't mentioned, which um, you guys wanted to highlight before before we call it a day? Uh, maybe the Champions Cup results, or uh, uh, I don't know if we're interested in that anymore with <laughs> with without yeah, representatives. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, th I think it's pretty important uh, given that we're now as South Africans involved in you know the European competitions. So yeah, the semi-finals were this weekend in Leinster. Uh, like I said earlier, um, made made it look relatively easy against Toulouse, and that was one of the the big matchups. And then today, La Rochelle uh, again easily put Exeter away, and I think that was always expected because Exeter did well just to make the semis because they're having a poor season. They're not even in the top four in the English leagues, so I think they were, would have been pretty happy just to make it this far, which means that the final will be between Leinster and La Rochelle, which is a repeat of last year's final. Um, which La Rochelle won, so they'll be hoping to do two in a row. Um, in the Challenge Cup, um, we also saw URC uh, inter-competition with Scarlets losing out to Glasgow. Um, and then today, also, Benetton got quite comprehensively beaten by Toulon, where Colby was playing fullback, so there is a little bit of a South African um, Touch flavor, yeah. yeah, flavor. That's a better word. <laughs> um, so, so Toulon will play against Glasgow, yeah, in the final. La Rochelle got um, laid in rule, so it is. Yes, yeah. So I can play there as well. Yeah, and um, Raymond Rule scored a nice try this afternoon. A uh, little bit of soccer skill. Yeah, that um, Leinster to lose game though. That was the only one that I managed to catch. Was was interesting because I mean everyone has been going on about how the French TV refs don't show replays and things like that, and there was some very dodgy hometown TMOing I felt in that game. I mean Andrew Porter did a horrific dumb tackle that, you know, everyone just missed. And then there were a couple other things that got you know, they just there just wasn't a replay for this. And they're like, that's very odd. Um, and then there are other things that, that you know got a lot of attention. Uh, yeah. I think I, fundamentally Toulouse paid the price of you know having a six two bench without appropriate cover, um, which meant the scrum off had to come on to replace an outside center. So Dupont moved to 10, Intermac moved to 12, 12 moved to 13. And that's, you know, I mean, we had that last year when Conor who was it, got injured. And, and instead of just putting, making one change, we shifted, I think we lost a wing and then we moved everyone out, like three positions. We moved 12 yeah. to 13, 13 to 14, then Real Broad and then 12. Yeah, uh, and 12. So yeah. It just fucks up all your defensive alignments. Like, you know, yeah. you'll be able to bring someone on the straight swap. Uh, yeah, I, I saw Dupont uh, said after the match. He said, um, "When there are 40 points against you, you know you're not allowed to find excuses." And basically saying, "Yeah, you can, you know, <laughs> maybe some things went against us, but we lost by so much that ultimately it didn't really matter. Like they were out outplayed." Um, I mean, I think the biggest blame you can put on is just Thomas Ramos being an idiot <laughs> with the most ridiculous fucking, not even I mean, just killing a ball interception. Yeah. It's obviously going to be a yellow card, and then Leinster put on 21 points while he was off the field. Yeah, um, you know, a lot of it just straight through his channel. So you know that kind of really where it started. I mean, they came back well. To I think it was was after 27, 17 or something. So they kind of came back from it a bit, but like you know they shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. And that was very much all Thomas Ramos's idiocy, which Squidge is you know quite happy to point out that he just does stupid things. So maybe sometimes, it sometimes, sometimes it's cool, yeah. 
like when he did I mean, that it, cool he does fun, fun cool stuff but it's still stupid oh, it's cool. stuff you want your team to do <laughs> like it's you know, something we can maybe hope France do against us if we ever play them in the quarterfinals we can rely on a Ramos moment of idiocy to give us an end Billy would never do such a thing <laughs> not not new Billy old Billy <laughs> old, old Billy cheaters Billy would do it every match yeah yeah but that's just cheaters you're allowed to that's, that's encouraged <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I feel like Ramos has done stuff that even Billy would be like, hey, shit, that was a bit silly. Cool. Um, so if you guys had to call it, would you, I mean, Leinster technically have it's a neutral venue, but ultimately they are playing in um, Dublin, so they have home advantage. Would you say Leinster are going to beat La Rochelle, despite La Rochelle, La Rochelle being reigning champions? Um, or And also, while you're at it, um, Toulon or Glasgow, who are on quite a streak themselves? I mean, I really want La Rochelle to do it. I just don't want Leinster to do it. It's It's very un-URC spirit of you. It's (laughs) anti-Irish. Fair enough. I think that's the bigger uh, leaning. And yeah, I just like Glasgow. It would be cool if they could do it. Andy? Yeah, for me, I mean, that it, it's difficult for me having lived in Edinburgh to support Glasgow. Um, but at a more broader Scottish support point of view, I'd love Glasgow to win it. Um, and they've, when they've, are they playing at home? I can't remember. They're also playing in Dublin. So they're playing on the Friday night. So, yeah. yeah, that's difficult because Glasgow have been a bit schizophrenic this season at home and away. So, um, It'll be interesting to see if they can bring themselves up. They've also got the the split tension with the other comp that they're still involved in, obviously, yep. semi-finals of URC. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd, uh, I want I'd say Leinster to do it for Johnny Sexton. Ooh. <laughs> just not even playing. <laughs> but just in his memory, you know. He passed away a couple of weeks ago. Dead. <laughs> <laughs> he's just uh, well, uh, is, yeah, is he, he's is being he wrapped up for the World Cup. Yeah, I guess so. He, yeah, he's is he not playing the final? I mean, do we know that for sure? He's never playing for Leinster again. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, in that case, La Rochelle. <laughs> As easy as that. Yeah. <laughs> it should be a good game. Um. So try and we'll try and catch that in two weeks' time as well. Yeah, the next time we speak, we'll be able to bring you all the champions, whether it's URC, European, or one of the other leagues. Maybe not uh, Super Rugby yet. I don't know when that finishes. But um, yeah, so it's been it's been a good month. Uh, hopefully, we'll see some South African good results. A shock shock. Um, maybe not a bull shock, but a Stormers resurgence. Um, but yeah, thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. Cheers. Cheers. All right.